Uh, yeah, glad that you're here. Thanks for being uh, sticking around, hanging out with us uh, over over Christmas and uh, all that stuff. Uh, we're, we're continuing in the book of, of Genesis uh, throughout this uh, Advent series. It's not really an Advent series. We're just talking about Advent through Genesis, uh, which, by the way, you can talk about Advent in any book of the Bible, really, I, I believe, uh, because we're talking about these incredible things that Jesus brings to us uh, uh, as a result of his gospel. And so we can talk about uh, Advent all the way through there. But if you remember, over the last couple of weeks, or last several weeks, we've been talking about uh, what happened in the garden. And what happened in the garden was that Adam and Eve sinned against God. And as a result, they were judged. And through that judgment, uh, we see uh, chapter 3, verse 15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And essentially, it's God making a promise. And his promise is this, is that I am going to right the wrong of, of the sin that Satan, you have caused and that Adam and Eve both engaged in. I'm going to right the wrong through an offspring, through a seed. And so the, the rest of Genesis really follows that seed, follows that offspring. And the question is, where is the offspring? When is he going to come? When will he be here? But essentially, what this is saying is that God announces the gospel. He announces the good news that we have as believers from the very beginning. And it really says in Ephesians that before time began, God knew what was going to take place and how it was going to take place. So his plan has always been that he was going to save us uh, through Jesus, which is God in the flesh. And so we get this announcement from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And so we're looking for who this, uh, who this offspring is. Who will he be? And so it looks like Eve is, is believing that it's Cain. But then Cain kills Abel, and so obviously he wasn't the offspring. Uh, maybe Abel was it, but Abel's dead now, and so, so Abel can't be it. And so Adam and Eve have another child, Seth. And so Seth is now the offspring, and it's through Seth that we get to Noah. So we talked this last week about the story of Noah and what, what's happening with Noah. And we talked about this uh, judgment of God being seen through this, but how we cannot experience the joy of Jesus if we don't see the judgment of Jesus. We can't have joy in who Jesus is if we don't have any reason to be joyful about Jesus. The joy in Jesus comes in the fact that God is a righteous God. He is righteous and holy and good. And as a result, he cannot tolerate sin. And so what must take place is that there must be judgment. So God judges sin, but there's this promise that's looming that there's going to be this offspring that's going to kill this serpent. So we got into the beginning of chapter 6 in Genesis. In the, in the beginning of chapter 6, so the, the first uh, four verses, uh, it's confusing, I said this last week. And the reason why it's confusing is because it's, it's talking about this, this, uh, this being, this, this person who is, who is evil and they are called the Nephilim, and there's many different uh, ideas as, as far as who they could be or, or what they are. There's many different theories. But essentially what the, ver the, the verses uh, 1 through 4 of chapter 6 are saying is this, is that the world is becoming increasingly corrupt. It's so out of control. 
It's completely out of control because of these beings uh, having children uh, with uh, these, these women from earth. And as a result, there's these men of renown. There's these, these men. And it, it's brutal. There's this violence. There's this corruption that's taking place. In fact, uh, chapter 6, verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The heart of God is broken as evil is perpetuated on earth. You, are you upset about evil? God is upset about evil. Are, are, are you upset that these things continue to go on and on? God is in the business of restraining evil. God is in the business of restraining evil in our world, but evil breaks the heart of God as well. And that's what's communicated to us through this. But then we begin to see this figure, Noah, and it says this in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah is this guy. He's unlike anybody else in his generation. It says later on that he walked righteously, that he is a guy who has been, who has been he walked with God, he's, he's righteous in what he does, and as a result... What happens is this, is that Noah is walking with God by the favor of God, by the grace of God. God has shown his grace on Noah, and as a result, uh, as a result of God revealing his grace to Noah and revealing himself to him, Noah walks with him, and he walks righteously. He walks continually with God. And so we see what happens as a result let me read the passage, and this is a little bit long. We're going to skip quite a few um, uh, areas here, uh, but I, I just want to give you a general uh, overview of the story of Noah. It spans three chapters, uh, so we'll skip around here just a little bit. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 uh, through 22 says this. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Verse 14. Make yourself... An ark, the word ark means chest. It's not necessarily a boat, but it means chest. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, uh, 30 cubits. Uh, give you an idea of what that looks like. Uh, it's about as long as a football field and a half. And, it, and people believe that it's about 75 feet wide and about 45 feet tall. This thing is massive. It's a, the equivalent in some respects to an ocean liner today. So he says, uh, verse 16, make, make, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. 
verse 18, but I, will do, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. Genesis chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, says this. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep uh, burst forth and the windows of the heavens, heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, <clears throat> male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. Genesis chapter 8, verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the ground. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with, with you, bring out uh, with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. 
And then the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Genesis chapter 9 verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the, on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Ah, okay. That was a lot. There's, there's, there's a lot there. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Through the life of Noah... What we see is that peace with God comes through faithful obedience in response to his grace. Through Noah, we see that peace with God comes through faithful obedience in response to his grace. What that means is this, is that our peace that we have throughout the Christmas season when we t talk about peace on earth, goodwill toward men, when we talk about this, it doesn't come just because we just decide to be peaceful or it's a peaceful time. Everyone's being nice to each other. Every, people are flipping each other off less on the road. They're uh, getting in less fights with their family, but that's not true. We get in lots of fights with our family over the Christmas season. Where's this peace come from? And what is, it, what is it about? I'd say the same thing that I did about joy last week, and that is that we don't get the idea of joy because we don't understand the judgment of God. Well, I'd say this. We don't understand the peace of God. We don't understand what God has for us. When we don't understand what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God who's walking in the grace of God, who's walking in the favor of God, who's experienced the grace of God, and as a result, their life takes shape, and they're continually walking with him. I want to show you a few things out of this passage here, if I can get back here. As I said, there's corruption and violence throughout the entire earth. There's corruption and violence that's going on everywhere. It, this, this corruption is expressing itself and people being violent toward one another. So there's this violence that's happening on the earth, but here's the thing. God is the one who offers peace. So here is this God, and he's doing something that seems incredibly violent, by enacting judgment on this entire uh, world, 
And it is in and through that that he is bringing peace. So God deals with violence in a very specific way. He deals with it by taking it out, by taking it out. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, to remind you of that again, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We see from this verse that it's not only through God's favor, which can also mean God's grace, that, that uh, Noah was a righteous man. It's through God's grace, through God's favor, that Noah was a righteous man. It's coming out of his grace. It's coming out of his favor that he's walking with God. And so as a result, what we see in Noah's life is this. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. We talked about what this means last week. He was righteous. He was living in right relationship with God, his neighbors, and all God's creatures. He's blameless, which means he's walking with integrity of heart. And he's, he's walking with God in the same way that Enoch did, that we talked about earlier last week. He's walking with God on a, in, a, on a, in a regular basis. He is walking with God. We should also notice this, what he did not do. He did not isolate himself from God and community. He didn't isolate himself from God. He's walking before God. He's walking with God. He's living righteously. He didn't question the word of God. And he also did not define for himself what is good and right and true. All three of those things are what Adam and Eve did. It's what all of us do throughout all of time. We isolate ourselves from God. We question whether his word is true. And we define for ourselves what is good and right and true. But what we see here is we see this guy. And it's not just about the judgment of God. That, it, it's true that that's a big piece of this. But what it is is this. It's talking about a guy. This is the kind of person who walks with God and has peace with God. So how can you walk throughout this Christmas season with God and have peace with him as a result? Well, let's look at Noah and his faithful obedience. Genesis 6.14 God commands Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. He says, I want you to do something very specific for me. I see the violence in this world, and what I want you to do is I want you to build this ark. And then he gives him specific things. I want it to be this high, and I want it to be this wide, and I want it to be this long. And then I want you to cover that with pitch, and then I want you to bring all of these animals into the ark. And I want you to, to do every one of these things. So what, what does this look like for him? Well, when you look at the story and you look at the, the, the times and you add it all up, it took Noah over 100 years, maybe 120 years, I believe, 120 years of faithful obedience because it says this in chapter 6, verse 22, Noah did this, he did all that God commanded him. Noah hears the word of God. God gives him specific instructions. I'm going to destroy the earth because of its violence, because of its corruption. Here's specifically what I want you to do. Noah starts working on this thing right away. And for 120 years, he's walking with God 
obeying God. And all that he has is the bare word of God. Like it's never rained before, before this time. The streams rose up from the ground and they watered the face of the ground. That's what it says. It's never rained. He, do, he doesn't even know where all this water is going to come from. There's so many reasons why he should not obey God. But instead, he chooses to obey God. He is obedient. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. See, this story, it is about judgment, but it is more about the kind of person. It is more about this guy, Noah, who has experienced the grace of God. He's walking righteously before God, and that righteousness is expressed in faithful obedience. That righteousness is expressed in faithful obedience. Look at Genesis 7.1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Genesis 7.5 says, And Noah did all that, all that the Lord had commanded him. See, there's a command. It's followed by obedience. It says again in 7.9, Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. Why, do, why is it repeating the same phrase? God has specific instructions. He has his word. And then it says, Noah obeyed. Noah obeyed. He walked in faithful obedience. Genesis 7, 15. They went to the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life, and those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. Noah obeyed. There was faithful obedience. See, Noah's response is the right response to the experience of God's grace. See, God comes to, uh, comes to Noah, and really to us as well through the word, and he says, I'm looking at the world, especially during this time, and I see how it has devolved into more and more violence and more and more corruption. And he says, every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. God makes that blanket statement, and Noah is included in that, but God decides to shed his light, to shed his grace, his favor on Noah. And so Noah, living out of that grace, living out of that mercy, is walking with God in faithful obedience. He's obeying the bare word of God. John Salehammer says this, It is a picture of simple obedience to God's commands and trust in his provision. If you want to understand the story of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, you should read John Salehammer and his book, uh, The Pentateuch as Narrative. But he says that this is a picture of simple obedience to God. It's obeying God, his commands, and trusting him, saying, I believe your word. See, faith in God is not just faith that, like, I think God exists. I think Jesus was a real historical figure. I think maybe what he says is true. It's not just that. Faith in the grace of God, faith in the fact that God has grace for me. In the midst of this crooked and depraved generation, God is gracious to me. He has saved me. Our faith is expressed in how we respond to his commands on a daily basis. In fact, 
Hebrews 11, which is called the Faith Hall of Fame oftentimes, says this about Noah. It says, by faith Noah, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. See, what Noah did was he said, he said, okay, to heck with the world. To heck with, with everything that they have to say. Think about what would have happened over 120 years. Think about how many people would have been criticizing him. Think about how many people would have been mocking him, saying, what in the world are you doing? Building this structure that kind of looks like a boat, maybe? In the middle of nowhere. And it seems from Scripture that maybe Noah was also preaching. In the midst of building this ark and obeying the command of God, he's preaching to these people and he's saying, turn away from your corruption. Turn away from your violence. Turn away from all of these things and come with me. Come walk with me. Walk with God with me. Yet nobody did. Noah stood alone in the midst of his generation in faithful obedience. When we say that we have faith in God, we're not just saying that I believe that he exists. It means that we're walking in faithful obedience. See, faith is not something that's just exerted at one point in your life. Faith is continual steps, taking steps of obedience with God, obeying the bare word of God all along the way. Now, let's think about our world for just a moment here. Like right now, uh, Salem Alliance Church is being criticized. Um, I, I don't know how many of us know about this. I don't know how far it's gone. I know it, there was a, a letter to the editor that was written to say, uh, the Statesman Journal, which I'm not sure anybody reads anymore, but um, that's besides the point. Uh, that's about <laughs> Salem Alliance Church and how uh, their, their viewpoint on sexuality and what they believe. And they're being criticized in public. They're being castigated in spite of the fact that Salem Alliance Church has done more for our city than anybody who's writing on that blog or commenting saying, yeah, get them. Our, our world is in the midst of corruption as it holds to a sexual ethic that is, that is so distorted that as it holds to a sexual ethic that, that is so harmful it is so harmful to the people involved. It is so harmful to our children. It is so harmful to our world. And the, the sexual ethic that Salem Alliance holds, I believe, is biblical. It is the same sexual ethic that we hold, which is we adhere to the bare word of God. Our world says that we should engage with these things because this feels right. This feels good. This feels what I, like, I'm so, like what I'm supposed to be doing. This feels like how I was created. But the bare word of God says it is not right to have sex with anyone else other than someone of the opposite gender who is your spouse. 
period. It, even though it doesn't feel right that I should hold on to that, that is the bare word of God. The bare word of God shows us that sex in any form, that lust in any form, that anything outside of the relationship between a man and a woman in covenant marriage is sin. That's the bare word of God. And our culture, and I, I think that this is slightly hilarious, that it's happening in, in Salem here now, where it's like, it's coming. It's coming, this, this type of persecution, but we're, we're really not persecuted. It's not, it's not crazy. But like, it's, it's interesting that this is happening. But this is where it matters. That the bare word of God is sometimes all that we have when it comes to remaining faithful to our spouse, when it comes to choosing a spouse, when it comes to using our sexuality. It is down to just the bare word of God, and that's what Noah did. See, Noah expressed faith in the grace of God by walking in obedience continually. God goes through great pains to repeatedly say, and Noah did all that he commanded. And Noah, as God has commanded, went in as God had commanded. And then Hebrews has him as this hall of famer who says, by faith, Noah did what was right. He obeyed God for 120 years. He did this, and it seemed crazy. Do you understand that your faith in Jesus Christ may cause you to go on for an, an immense amount of time doing something that seems absolutely asinine, that seems absolutely crazy. Do you see that? This is who Noah was, this is what he is showing us. So how do we walk by faith? In the grace of God, it's by being obedient to God consistently. It's obeying when there's no earthly evidence that our obedience will work out for our good, our comfort, or our safety. We're trusting in the provision of God and not in ourselves. We're trusting in the provision of God and not in what our culture says. We're trusting in the provision of God and not our feelings. He walked in faithful obedience. And then throughout the story, a couple of things that we see here are God's continual grace in Noah's life. As Noah is walking in faithful obedience, it says in chapter 7, verse 16, Noah and his family had gone into the ark and God shut him in. You think about something that seems as impossible as even just shutting this door. Being in a place, finally getting into a place of safety and just kind of going, I don't even know how we're going to shut the door of this dang thing that God told us to build. And God shuts the door. The care that God has for his people. The care that God has for Noah in the midst of this is that God shuts the door. And then it says this in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. But God remembered Noah. 
He remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him. And then God makes a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. God remembers Noah. God, God isn't leaving you in the midst of this. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this judgment, in the midst of all of this stuff, God doesn't leave you alone to just do it on your own. God comes alongside of us, and he helps us, and he remembers you, and he remembers our faithful obedience to him. As we walk in obedience with him, God continually helps us. God continually enables us. And as a result, what do we see? What do we see in the life of Noah? It says in Genesis chapter 8, verses 6 through 12, it talks about how Noah opens the window of the ark. He sends out a raven, and the raven is, is flying to and fro, and then he sends out a dove to see if this dove can show him that the waters have subsided. Imagine what Noah's thinking about, what he's doing. As he's in this ark, again, when you add it all up, he's in the ark for a year. And so here you are, you obey God for 120 years. You walk by faith and say, okay, fine, I'll go into the ark. And you go into the ark and you, and, and you think, okay, any day now, this is going to stop. Well, the rain stops after 40 days, but you're still sitting on water. And it's day after day after day after day. Think about what you're sitting on right now. Well, you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, how long, oh Lord? How long will I have to put up with this? How long will I have to deal with these issues and problems, problems in my life? How long will I, will, you know, how, how do I know that you're still there, God? Are you still there? Because I'm still, I'm still in the midst of this. I'm still in the midst of this turmoil in the midst of the stuff that's happening around me. And so Noah, I think on some level, is kind of going, on. God, are you, are you really going to be there? Are you really going really to show us? Are you really going to save us? It says in verse 9 that the, of chapter 8, the dove found no place to set, his, set her foot, I should say, so he takes her into the ark, verse 10. He waits another seven days, and again he sends forth a dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with this or not, but the symbol, like this universal cultural symbol for peace is a dove with an olive branch. Sometimes we say this, we say, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to extend the olive branch, kind of make peace with this person. Like I, I extended the olive branch to the people in my family and I've invited them back for this next Christmas or something because they got drunk and did stupid things uh, the year before. And maybe it was you, maybe someone needs to extend the olive branch to you. But uh, in any case, so th this universal symbol of the, the, the dove with the olive branch now, I don't believe it's biblical per se, but our culture has taken that, and, they, and, and historically, they've looked at the story and have communicated some type of peace that's going on here. And what is this peace? 
What is this peace that he's talking about? What's happening here? Well, it says in John 14, verse 26, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to come in my name. I know I'm leaving, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm going to ascend to heaven. I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you. And then it says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as this world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So here we have the, the Holy Spirit. Jesus communicates. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving the Holy Spirit. And it is in and through this that you're going to have peace. That you're going to have peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about having believed you were marked in him with the Spirit, the, pro the, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a, a guarantee of our inheritance. Now, what, what is this picture that's happening here? I think in some respect that God wants to draw our, our attention to this. He wants us to see something, and that is that in the midst of the ordeal, in the midst of the ark, in the midst of feeling like, I don't know if God's coming back. Did he flood this thing and then be like, ha, 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 made you get in an ark, enjoy eternity uh, on the water, like this endless cruise. Now, God sends the dove. God allows the dove to get this olive branch and bring it back to him and be an assurance. I don't know how biblical the connection is with the Holy Spirit, but I can say this, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. The dove brought an olive leaf that said, it's a guarantee, the waters are receding. And we need that same type of assurance. We need that same type of peace that happens. We need the peace that God has for us. See, here's what happens. When God has grace on us, we walk in faithful obedience as a result of his grace. We live out of that grace. We don't earn grace through faithful obedience. We respond to the grace of God. We walk in faithful obedience. And then God brings about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit and, and dwells in us. And he reminds us that we are his, and that he is ours, and that we are in Christ, and that we're part of him. And he gives us this assurance. In the midst of this world, which is constantly telling you, forget the word of God, you bunch of fundamentalists who believe this crazy stuff, forget that stuff. And the Holy Spirit's reminding us, I am with you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am here. Your eternity is with me forever. And so, then we see this in chapter 9. God says in verse 11, he says, I'll establish my covenant with you. And then he says in verse 12, this is the sign of the covenant. 
that I make between you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. And what's a covenant? A covenant is a unilateral promise. It's not a contract. I do this, you do that. God comes to Noah and says, I'm going to make a deal with you. You don't get to do any dealing. I'm the one that makes the deal. I'm the one that makes the rules. So it's a one-sided contract, basically. I do all the work uh, in, in saving, and you respond to that saving with obedience. You respond to this. But God says, here's the sign of my covenant. This is the sign that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. He says in verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He says, when I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant. I'll remember my promise that it's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. And then he goes on, and the bow, when the bow is in the clouds. Now, what, what, what is he saying there? See, the word for bow, it's the same word for a bow and arrow. It's a weapon of war. It's a weapon of war, and God used his weapon of war. He used the rains. He let the water come, burst forth out of the ground as well, and he destroyed all of creation with the exception of eight persons. And he knows, God knows, that when we think about that and we think about the fact that God could so easily take these people out even though he waited for 120 years. He was patient with these people. He waited for them. He waited for them. He waited for them to perhaps turn from their evil corruption, their violence. But in the end, they chose that. They chose to destroy themselves. It was their decision to destroy themselves. He warned them. It was their decision. And so God took his bow, his weapon of war, and that weapon of war is his wrath. And he expressed his wrath toward sin. And it is that same weapon of war that is aimed at every single one of us in the midst of our sin. It is the wrath of God that's impending on us. It's the wrath of God that is staring us in the face. And so we have some options. Either we can say, you know what? I don't care what God says. Like it says in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is being revealed because of the lawlessness of man. The wrath of God is coming. In fact, Jesus says in, uh, in one of the Gospels, he says, as it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be in the end. People are going to be eating and marrying and, and life is going to be going on and then all of a sudden the end is going to come and he's going to judge the living and the dead. See, the wrath of God is coming again. But it says this. It says that he hangs up his bow in the clouds. He hangs up his bow in the clouds so that he sees and so that you see that he's hung it up, that he's set aside his wrath. And so here's the thing that we have to know is this, is that he has set aside his wrath through Jesus Christ. It is only in and through Jesus and our identification with him 
It says in 1 Peter that just like in the days of Noah, this is, this is what it's like to, to walk with Jesus, just like in the days of Noah. And he, he creates this picture of how uh, they go into the ark, and that's a picture of baptism, and how baptism is essentially identification with Christ and his resurrection. And as a result, we're saved in and through that. So here's the thing. We have the wrath of God impending upon us. And the question is this. Is that promise for you? Are you going to escape the wrath of God and have peace with God, or are you going to experience the wrath of God in your life? Are you going to escape the wrath of God in the final days, or are you going to experience the peace of God in the final days by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because you've received the grace of God and in and through that been enabled to walk in faithful obedience. This is the offer. The offer of Jesus is the same offer of Noah. I will save you and your household if you will just believe. I will save you. You can have peace with God. <coughs> you can have peace with God if you will just believe. My bare word, my bare word, that is true. If you'll just believe and trust me and follow my commands, what you can see is this, is that I will save you. So God's grace is there for the taking. And it is in and through the grace of God and faith in what he's done for us that we get to walk in righteousness, righteously walking in faithful obedience that leads to peace with God. Do you have peace this Christmas season? Do you have peace that you have right relationship with God? Do you have any concept of peace with God during this season? Because here's the thing, if you don't have this peace, if you sit there and you question, I hope that I'm good enough, you don't have the peace of God. If you're hoping, I hope that I'm, I hope that I'm there, what, what is it that's keeping you from getting that peace? What is it that, that's, that's allowing you to look forward to this Christmas season and then the end of days when Jesus returns in anticipation? What's keeping you from that? It may be because you've, you've never really said yes to Jesus. You've never really experienced the grace of Jesus. And you've been trying to earn your way to God. You've been saying, you know, if I walk in faithful obedience, then God might like me and I'll get there. No, that's not the way that it works. It's you have to receive the grace of God. You have to understand the fact that you're in the midst of a corrupt generation. You have to understand the fact that there's no way that you can get to God just on your own. You could never do enough faithful obedience to get to God. But you know who did? Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you, and then as a result, he lived this perfect life, and then he goes to the cross, and what happens is this, is that he says that if you trust in him, if you believe that he forgives you as a result of going to the cross for you, if you believe that, 
then you can have relationship with him forever. Do you believe in his grace? Are you trusting in him? Then here's how you should walk. In faithful obedience to the bare word of God, believing his commands, and walking with him in peace for eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I wonder if we have peace with you. I wonder if we have experienced that. But so many times I'm, I'm continually running around frantically and trying to make things happen on my own. And Lord, I just am not experiencing your peace in the way that I would like to. And so Lord, we're asking you this morning that you would allow us to experience your peace by looking afresh at your gospel that we've seen kind of unfolded in the story of Noah. God, that you'd allow us to see this and experience it by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you do an incredible work in our lives and enable us to walk in peace this Christmas season and beyond. It's in your name we pray, amen.